0: Thank you, Penny. She has sung before I preach many, many, many times over the last thirty-some years, and I always enjoy well, thirty, forty, fifty years. <laughs> I always enjoy, always enjoy her singing. Well, last week, if you remember, we uh, were in Proverbs chapter twenty-one, and we got into verses twelve and thirteen, and uh, we got into a, a great teaching on our quality of life as a child of God. You know that. That phrase, quality of life, that's, that's a big deal today. Everybody wants to have a quality of life. All the, all the health providers, they like to use that term. Uh, you have wellness centers. Uh, they don't call them gymnasiums anymore or workout places. It's now a wellness center. Everybody's focused on you having a quality of life. You go to your doctor, and he, he wants to do everything he can to make sure you have quality of life. And it's always amazed me that we put so much emphasis on the quality of the human life, but we don't put any emphasis on the quality of our life with the Lord Jesus. And, um, you know, uh, last week we, we got into that and we began to talk about that, the quality of life as a child of God. And I talked to you about the idea of building our, our whole lives around the Bible uh, truths, the Word of God, principles. The biblical principles that will carry with it all the issues of life that you're ever going to have to face. You know, I talked about the greatest single thing that we all have to remember and we all have to deal with. It's one of the greatest concepts and one of the truest concepts of anything about life. If you want to talk about the quality of life and you want to examine the quality of life, uh, you have to examine this one great principle we talked about. It's the truth in life that our lives will only be about the choices that we make in life, the decisions that we make. That will determine for us the quality of life not only as a Christian, but certainly as even an unsaved person. An unsaved person can have a decent life, even though at the end of their life they're going to die and go to hell. They can have a decent life, but boy, they can make some bad choices that makes that life not only hell when they die, but hell on earth while it's here. And all of God's people are going to go to heaven when they die. There's no question about that. And it's inconceivable to me why God's people would tolerate going to heaven when they die, but living a hell on earth here. And it all comes back to the bad choices that we make. We talked about that last week, good or bad. And those bad choices will be based on the value system that we use, the value system that we establish in our lives. One of the things that are key things in parenting, one of the key things in parenting with your children is establishing good value systems in your children's life. You don't do that by teaching, though teaching is very important. You don't do that by teaching them the value. You teach them by, you you give it to them by living the value system, allowing them to see in your life, in the life of you and your wife, your marriage, your family, the value system that you want to instill in them. Too many children hear their parents say one thing, but then see them do something else. And it it bases, builds a false value system, so... Husbands and wives make bad choices. The kids wake up making bad choices, and it's just the way that it goes. And I told you, the greatest news that ever hit this planet, other than salvation, and salvation was the greatest news that ever hit this planet, but after salvation, the greatest news that ever hit this planet, that we as God's people, we as God's people have the ability to go through life, technically speaking now, without ever making any bad choices. I know we won't. But technically speaking, we have the ability to do that. You have the you ha- I laid out the three gifts that God gave you as a New Testament Christian found in Ephesians chapter four. I talked about how that in Ephesians chapter four he talked about how God gave us the church concept. That is a concept that was never laid out anywhere in the Bible till we move into the New Testament, where God is moving from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God and establishes a spiritual body through the church. So the church now formed for us what we all need. We need structure. We need structure. Within structure, there's accountability and responsibility. If you're going to ever be all that God wants you to be, you have to have structure. If your children are going to be whatever they need to be, you're going to have to provide structure. Structure is key. And when God gave us the concept of the church, He provided for us the structure that we needed that we could put into our lives, that now we would have something that would give us some purpose and structure in life to keep us between the white lines, so to speak. The second gift that God gave the church was the pastor. And a good pastor who knows the Bible and knows these people uh, and how to deal with his people, uh, he's like one of the Old Testament prophets. He's God's mouthpiece. God is going to speak through him and give the instructions through the church, just like the Old Testament prophets gave the instructions of God uh, through the uh, uh, in the Old Testament. And you know, in the Old Testament, you could always tell when the guy <coughs> was of God or whether he wasn't of God, because just like there's a lot of phony pastors today, there was a lot of phony pr- uh, uh, prophets in the Old Testament. But there was a key. There was a key that every child of the nation of Israel, knew to look for when a man got up and claimed to be the prophet of God, whatever he was going to say, if he did not preface it by saying, thus saith the Lord, that he was not God's prophet. God's man always started what he said by saying, thus saith the Lord. In other words, he was validating the fact that he had the absolute word from God that he was giving them. And I take that in the New Testament today. If a pastor doesn't have the King James Bible and believe it, he's not speaking, and thus saith the Lord. He's speaking, thus saith somebody else. So when you find that, when you find the church, that's God's structure. The pastor, that's God's mouthpiece. Then you have the Word of God yourself, and that's God's mind. Those three things are all that you need after you're saved with the Holy Spirit of God living inside you, Those three things, having them and putting them to work in your life is the key. It will help you get to the point where you don't have to make the bad choices that we all make. And we built all of this around last week, verses 12 and 13. I have to give you a little recap because we're going to go into 13 uh, we, 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 we got into 12 last week. We never got into 13, but that's okay. We'll get in today. Uh, we're no hurry. We're going through God's mind. We want to take our time, and there was a lot in that last week. But let me read it again for you. Uh, verse 12 and 13. And we're going to basically, once we get our little introduction done here, we're going to focus on, on verse 13. It says, The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not, not be heard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Caleb, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on, the, uh, on a m- message this morning? Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and just thank you for all the blessings you've given, given us here in this church. Um, just pray for the preaching of the Word of God, Lord. You just use it to um, touch our hearts, Lord, just uh, just bring the holy man from heaven and Help us to pick it up and apply in our lives, Lord. Um, Just pray for everything this church is doing, Lord, all the people we're trying to reach for you. um, Just give us the blessings there. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, we talked about last week focusing on considering the house of the wicked. And you remember, I took that concept of a house that you enter into, and I explained all the different aspects and applications to it, that it's not just talking about a literal house, though it can be. It's talking about a place that will become our lifestyle. We used our homes as as a lifestyle as an illustration. Some place that you'll move into in life that will make you feel comfortable, that you'll basically live there. And we know now that it can be broken down into two aspects, either God's house or the devil's house in all that we do and getting into the bad choices and uh, and, 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 and decisions uh, by not considering the house that we're going to enter into. That'll kill us every time. Not stopping and looking at what we're about to do, seeing it as either God's house or the devil's house. There are places this morning that God's people, when they get into it, are comfortable being there that you should never be comfortable being there. There should be places and places you go, people that you hang out with, that you simply, as a child of God, are not comfortable being around. I love people. i do anything to help people. But I'll be honest with you, there's some kind of people that I don't enjoy to be around. I'm not comfortable there. If you take me to a bar someplace where some of you feel so comfortable, I'd be the most uncomfortable person in the world. Two drinks and I'd be singing on the table. I'd have to stay out of the place. (laughs) There are some places in life that you and I, as a child of God... We just need to stay away from And what bothers God's people, what bothers me about God's people is why are they so comfortable in places like that? You get around people who are always just tearing down other Christians or never have anything good to say about anybody and don't ever build anybody's life. They just destroy. Some of God's people are comfortable around that. I, I just couldn't be. And you know, it's a thing where uh, when, we, when we... I gave you seven ways to consider any house. And we're briefly, just to go through it, I gave you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, that says, ye that are spiritual ought to judge everything in your life. All things. You have the ability, because of the Word of God, you have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit of God, to look at something that you're going to enter into and judge it based on, is that going to help me or is that going to hurt me? As those are the kind of people I want to hang out with, is that going to edify me or is that going to put a sour note in my life? Is it going to further my walk with God or is it going to be a stumbling block to my walk with God? Using your developed spiritual discernment to evaluate the house you're about to enter in. Well, quickly, here they are. First of all, I I told you to consider uh, how the house was really built. Look how it was built. Second thing, I said, why was this house built? What's its purpose? The third thing I told you was, who did the work on this house? The fourth thing I asked you was, what's the foundation that the house is built on? Is it the Word of God, which the Bible talks about being a rock, or is it sand, which is the picture of the world? The fifth one was, what is the spiritual condition of the occupants of the house? The sixth one was, what does God think about the house and, and, and about your entering into it? And the last one was what will be the end result of this house when God comes back. Now, I guarantee you, if you look at every decision and choice you make in life, like a house you're considering buying or going into or building or or whatever, uh, you'd end the bad choices in life and you'd have a life as problem-free as possible uh, in your life. You know, when you buy a house... You pick apart everything. You walk in there and you the color, you don't like the color. I don't like the living room not, not big enough or the bedrooms aren't big enough or, uh, you know, it doesn't have enough bathrooms. You, you, you look at everything. You consider everything before you move into it. Nobody just saw a picture of a house and said, I'm going to buy it. Here's the money. You have an inspector come in. That inspector looks for termites. He looks for wood rot. He looks at the plumbing. He looks at the electricity and all the electrical aspect of it. He looks for any cracks in the foundation. He'll give you a whole list of things that have been inspected because you don't want to invest your money in a house that isn't worth the money investing it in. You don't want to buy a house and find out later you've got, you got a condominium of termites underneath of it. You don't want to buy it and find out that the plumbing doesn't work, that it's all clogged up. And uh, you don't want to find it. Uh, it's, you have a swimming pool. You just didn't know it. And it's in the basement every time it rains real hard. <laughs> I'm telling you something. If we considered the houses spiritually that we're going into and the occupants of it before we let ourselves get comfortable there and we feel good about ourselves, if we looked at those things using these seven things to evaluate just like we would look at buying a house, we wouldn't make any more bad choices, but it all comes back to getting the knowledge of God as his understanding of what to look for before you invest your life in something through the principles of the word of God. Across the street from me, we've got three or four apartments that are, that are low rent apartments and they always have people move in that last for about a year and uh, they, they trash the place. I mean, you can always tell when somebody's moved out because there's a pile of trash out there where the landlord comes in and just throws it in the front yard till they get a big truck to come by and haul it away. It's 30, 40 feet high. There's every piece of junk in it you ever saw. And they trash the house. They knock holes in the wall. They do everything. And, and, and you look at that and you think to myself, the guy that owns that, I, I, man, I'd have sold those things a long time ago. I'd have burned them down and got the insurance money. He, he, he has to go through so much work to rebuild and redo everything in that house before it's presentable for somebody to move into. And you know what? Nobody'd walk into that house with the smells in there, dog urine all over the carpet. <clears throat> mattresses all in a disarray and the holes in the wall and and cupboards and and stickiness in the sink and the bathrooms looking like they haven't been cleaned forever and a big old ring in the bathtub if they ever did use it and it's a thing where and you know just junk piled everywhere carpet big stains on the carpet nobody is going to walk in there and say this is the dream house i've been looking for but you know what you'll look at things in the world that look just like that, smell just like that, and are the same thing, and you'll say, oh, my dream house. What's wrong with us? We all need a good kick to see the pants. Here it comes. Thank you for that. Now, based on our quick review here, I want to finish what I started last week and look at verse 13. It says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Now, as the verse stands, it's a reference, and it's a great verse for our responsibility to take care of the poor. Uh, We go down to Restart. We have our street ministry and and, uh, all the things that we do there. And, you know, to be honest about it, we don't see a lot of folks come to Christ, uh, you win person to Christ from here every once in a while, uh, but hardly ever do they ever show up from church, we've had them come, nobody's ever stayed, but maybe one or two, and uh, it's a thing where, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of people saved, they'll take the water, they'll take the hot dogs, and they'll take the tracks, but uh, you don't see a lot of people, a lot of people want to argue about what they already believe, a lot of people are so whacked out on drugs, they're dancing in the middle of the street, I get it, amen, amen. I get it, I get it, but you know, that's not the only reason we do it. Now, I'm a firm believer of Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 that when you give tracks and you pass tracks out and you give tracks to people out there that God, God's word never returns void. Now, I've seen tracts, uh, I've seen tracks that you guys, I drive around, make sure everybody's got stuff. I've seen tracks out there that uh, uh, laying on the street that you gave to somebody and, and uh, they just threw it away. You know, I never stop and pick those tracks up. I never do. I mean, the rational thinking is, oh, what a waste. They threw that track away and to, and to run over and pick it up so you don't waste God's word. I never do that. You know what? There's a biblical principle involved there. God's word doesn't return void. You see, I know the story in Acts chapter 8, but an Ethiopian eunuch that was out there in the desert someplace... And, and he 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 was sitting out there i, I this is my own assumption of it. he was out there going someplace and he 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 saw something he saw something out there uh, laying in the thing and went over it. it was isaiah chapter fifty three and he started reading that. I knew a missionary one time that was way out in the booties in Africa and somebody showed up uh, to his mission station and wanted a Bible and he said, well, yeah, uh, where did you come from? And he said, well, I was over here 100 miles away and I was walking through the desert and I saw something blowing across the deal and I picked it up and it was this track that said, told me how to get saved and told me where to come to get a Bible. Now, somebody threw that track away. So I believe that stories, and I believe in Acts chapter 8 that God will get Isaiah 53 to who God wants to get it to. So I just let him go. Some am drunk out there contemplating, you know, his life's a mess and all that stuff, and we don't ever see it. Late at night, we're all home in our beds, and we did our job, passed out all the hot dogs, and he's sitting down there, and he's in those despair, and about that time, the old wind blows, and something goes across there, he picks that thing up. Only, only the judgment seat of Christ will reveal how many people have gotten saved through something like that. And you've done it. You've done it. So, Jesus instructed us to take care of the poor. He gave us the instruction that the poor was always going to be with us and we need to take care of them. Hey, I want to tell you, if Jesus was on earth today, he would not be at the big mega churches around this country, around this city. You know where he'd be? He'd be down on 13th and Cherry. He'd be down in the inner city. He, he wouldn't be at the big mega churches where everybody is so happy and got these. That's not where he would be. He would be down on the streets with the common man. That's where he always was. He didn't hang out with the scribes and the Pharisees. Why, the biggest criticism they had of him was he hung out with the bibbers and the gluttoners and all the people that were sinners. That's who needed him. You know, helping the poor is a good thing to do. Helps us keep our Perspective. It helps keep us humble, thankful for the blessings that, that uh, come with having the Word of God that God has given you. I don't know if you know this or not, but any blessings you have of God, anything that God has taken care of you in your life goes back to one thing. It's the book that you've got in your hand. Amen. And you may not read it like you should. You may not love it like you should. But you know what? There's a certain amount of blessings that go along with having it. Amen. If you don't understand that, you don't understand about history about America and England. I'll tell you something else, down on the streets a great training for your kids. Gives them their perspective. So there's more there than just getting somebody saved, though I'm all for getting people saved. But this verse has more than that. That would be, as it stands alone as we read it, that's what it's dealing with. But there's there's something else here. Also, this verse is dealing with God's people who today are, are living in spiritual poverty from the great Darth of the Christian world by the absence of, of the Word of God. The verse is directly, inspirationally aimed at the churches today, pastors today, who care absolutely nothing about giving their people what they need to grow spiritually. Most churches today, it's all about them, what they're trying to do. You're just a giving record number. You're someone who is just here to support what they want to do. Uh, years ago, I, I was in uh, New York City, and this was when Mel Shabaka was still alive, and he was, he was uh, uh, pastoring up there, and I had been up there, and I was preaching for him, and we were going down through New York City, and uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a college organization back then, I, I don't know if they're still around or not, called Campus Crusade, and they had a big billboard up there, and on the billboard, it said, Christ is the answer, as any place in New York and Kansas City, any big city, somebody with a spray can paint gets up there and has to alter it, and somebody had wrote underneath of that, it said, Christ is the answer. Somebody wrote under it, what's the question? And I thought when I saw that, you know, that's where churches are at today. That's where most pastors are at today. Churches and pastors, for their people, they're answering the questions that nobody's asking. And they're not asking the, they're not answering the questions because they have stopped their ears and I want to finish what I started last week in verse 13 and i want to I want to talk about I want to talk about stopping our ears uh, you know I I, I I look at that and I think about all the churches out today and all the people that are in them you realize that everybody here today Everybody here today, you have three fundamental basic needs. And wherever your problems will start in life, it will start in one of these, two of these, or maybe all three of these. When we deal with people in the people ministry, we focus on these three needs. These are the only three needs you have. Three is the number of completion in the Bible. You get these three needs cooking in your life, you don't have any problems. The first one is physical needs. We all have physical needs. What I call people needs. You all want to have relationships. No man wants to. Nobody wants to live by themselves all their life. Nobody not want to want to have any friends. Uh, We need material things. There's nothing wrong with having material things as long as it stays in balance. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I I've scratched my head many many times. A guy said to me one time years ago, and a lady, they had a lot of money and had big old houses, and she was bragging on the fact that they had 15 bathrooms in her house. To me, I think we can only use one at a time. Why do you need 15 bathrooms? But then it was a big deal, see? Now you need to have bathrooms in your house, but you don't need 15. (laughs) Yes, you gotta, never mind. You don't need 15. (laughs) But you need material things. You do. You need a car. You can't exist without a car. You know, a guy says, Well, I don't have a car. I live downtown. I have a bicycle. Yeah, and you get on the street and a car runs over you. You need a car. You need a car. We need food, we need clothing. We need houses. There's, there's physical things that we need. I get that. But then the second need that we all have is we all have emotional needs. That's inner strength. That's stability. That's our emotions. That our emotions are the most fragile part of our life. Everything else in our life will come down to the emotional side of things. And we know from our past studies that that's based on the spirit of man. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. I've told you many, many times, the wall you build around yourself that guards your spirit, that keeps your emotions in check, or a wall made up of the individual principles of the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And the third needs that we all have is we all have spiritual needs. And actually, this will be the key to the other two. In the physical sense, the blessings of God will come your way, and God will supply all of your need, like he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. So the spiritual need, the spiritual need that you have will be connected back to the physical. In the emotional side of things, the Bible will form, as I've said, the bedrock for our feelings and our emotions. The Bible will tell you, believe it or not, the Bible will tell you when to let out emotion. It'll tell you when you you spend emotion here versus spending it here. You only have so much to give. You need to be wise in making the decisions. You'll spend so so much time crying over the bachelorette who didn't get the dream of her life. And there are three gals over here all boo-hooing because he picked this one and gave the rose to her. And you'll sit there and cry with them. You'll watch some movie and somebody will die and you'll cry with that. And you expend so much emotions on crying for things that aren't real, you cannot weep over a soul dying and going to hell. Nothing left. Bachelorette got it all. The movie got it all. We have spiritual needs. You know... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32 says, The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's a great verse. That verse, by the way, is right in the middle of the charismatic uh, chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14 on spiritual gifts. And they're having a problem with unknown tongues. And people are jibber jabbing like the charismatics do today. And Paul says there, Don't give me this unknown tongue stuff. Don't give me this stuff, heavenly language. He says, The, prof- the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what he's saying? You can control your own spirit. You should control your own spirit. You don't have to have an emotional up and down day all your life, though many of God's people do. You don't have to let everything that comes into your world ruin your day, though many of God's people do. Now, I know we all have our downtime. We all have our problems. I get that. But what is lacking today in 99.9999999% of God's people is a victorious Christian life every day of their life. They fall apart at the worst little things, Amen. And the Bible says that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You can control your emotions if you control it around the principles of the Word of God. Now, I know we're all human, and I say it. I have mine. We all have our down days where we all, I get it. I understand it. But I'm saying we ought to live above the circumstances in life. And many of the things that throw us off track are things that as a child of God, we just ought to take in stride. If you make yourselves accountable to the principles of the word of God, you'll control your spirit. Now, let me just throw this out for a second here. I got a few minutes here extra. I want to talk about this for just a second here. Men and women have the same three needs. They really do. Men have physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. Women have physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs. But you don't meet them the same way. A man doesn't meet his wife's three needs like he meets his own. He just doesn't. And a man has to realize that a woman's three needs are a very, very tender thing that needs to be cultured and needs to be taken care of in a very a clear way where two guys get into a little snuffle, you know, on a basketball court or push each other in softball and everything, and the rough ump comes in or somebody comes in and breaks them up and says, knock it off, and they say, shake hands, guys, and they're shake hands, pass them, see? So a guy thinks that when he bruises his wife's spirit or he hurts her spirit, that it's just like, come on, hon, get over it, let's go, let's get out. That doesn't work that way. She, her, her needs are different. They require a different set of understanding. They're the same, but they're not the same in how you deal with them. And this is so important. It's, the, you know, in relationships, in physical relationships, in marriage. When a problem starts in a marriage, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to start in one of these three things, and it usually starts in the emotional. And your Christian life and your walk with God, when you begin to get away from God, when you begin to fail in your relationship with the Lord, it's going to start in one of these three, and most, most of the time it's in the emotional. And in both cases, we need good, solid biblical principles to balance ourselves in these three areas. A husband needs to deal with his wife based on understanding, the Bible says. He needs to realize that she's not like him. She doesn't look at things like he does. He doesn't look at things like she does. She needs to understand how he sees things. He needs to understand how she sees things, and they both need to see the world through each other's eyes to make the thing work. Now, the problem will be that in churches today and in marriages, this never gets done. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. Churches today are are, are a disaster. I'm sorry, and I know you say all the time, well, you're so negative. Well, please, just give me something in Christianity to be positive about. I just don't see it. So I'm working at it. I grew up in the church in Christianity in the 70s and the 80s. Back then, the Baptist churches ruled the world. We were coming off the great J. Frank Norris time. Baptist churches were at the the apex of where they were. And I know most of you don't even have a clue of what I'm talking about because this is long before you were born. It's hard to uh, see the world of Christianity today and then see where it was back in the day. One of the things I thank God for all my life was the fact that if I had to be born in this time period, at least I got to see the changeover. I got to see, I feel like somebody living in 300 A.D. that actually watched the pagan Roman church go into the Roman Catholic church, how, how valuable that would have been. Well, I've seen the same thing in my own lifetime from the 60s and the 70s to where we're at today. There were no, there were no evangelical churches back then. There were none. The great Rick Warrens, the great uh, uh, everybody taking Baptist off their name so they could become an amalgamated mess called uh, New Evangelical, New Evangelicalism, you know. They they didn't exist back there. They weren't around. They were simply called non-denominational churches, and they were very, 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 very small, and they hadn't really gained any ground. The Baptists ruled the world. I mean, Jack Kyle's church back in that day in Hammond, Indiana, ran 20,000 people in Sunday school. 20,000 people in church on Sunday. I came out of the Canton Baptist Temple. The Canton Baptist Temple in its heyday was running five, 6,000 people there. And this is before they had multiple services. Multiple services weren't even thought of back then. You just built big auditoriums and packed the people in. I remember Akron Baptist temple Akron Baptist Temple was running ten thousand people, and they were all were called Baptist temples. you know you had the Cincinnati Baptist Temple, you had Canton Baptist Temple, Kansas City Baptist Temple, you had Landmark Baptist Temple, you had Akron Baptist Temple, Cincinnati Baptist Temple, Lima Baptist Temple. they all came out of that j Frank Norris era. Most of these churches were either J. Frank Norris's boys, or a lot of them like Dallas Billington uh, was an old Kentucky hillbilly that came up uh, during the Depression and came to uh, Canton, Ohio, and and then went to Akron and built the Akron Baptist Temple. It was incredible what God was doing in these churches in that day. There were no evangelical churches. there there uh, There were no churches like you find today, uh, there were no those churches where you can just go in and uh, there's no real denomination associated to them and they just kind of want to get along with everybody. Those churches didn't exist. I, I was in the last part of the last part of the last part of the last part of the Philadelphia church age. The last little grains of sand. The last old boys that were the offsprings of the old boys who were the real old boys. It was an incredible time. And yet, I watched all of those churches start out believing the King James Bible was the Word of God. All of them did. And today, none of them believe it anymore. None of them believe it anymore. And you take places like the Jack Hiles, 20,000. He's probably running sixteen, seventeen hundred 1,700 now. Akron Baptist Temple, 10,000. Probably running eighteen, nineteen hundred, 1,900 Maybe. Canton Baptist Temple that ran 5,000 while I was there, probably down to 1,100 now. See what happened when I left? Fell <laughs> apart. Elmer Towns, who I'll actually affectionately call Elmer Clowns. Elmer Towns was out of the BB, uh, BB, uh, BBF down in Springfield. And uh, he was the big guy uh, in all the Baptist churches. Back in the 60s and the 70s, he wrote a book. And the book was The Ten Top Sunday Schools in America. And uh, he would travel around and come to all these big churches and meet with a pastor, stay there for Sunday, look at everything, have everybody's picture taken. And then uh, he uh, he would write his book about the ten top Sunday schools in America. Oh, everybody wanted to be in that book. He'd show up, and you'd pack the place, and they'd get one of those big fish eye lenses on the camera that kind of took everything. Pastor stand down there with Elmer, you know, and, the, and like this way, and the people all behind them, you know, and like that. And it was it was the die to get in that book. Every Baptist church in the country wanted to be in Elmer Town, 10 Top Sunday School book. Well, about five or six years later, he wrote a second edition, which was the second ten most greatest churches in America. Now, here again, everybody was just clamoring to get into that book. About 10 years after that, maybe 15 years after that, before he died, he wrote a third book. This one was called The Ten Most Beautiful Sanctuaries in the Christian world. You see, he couldn't have a third book on the fastest, greatest growing Sunday schools because the people were all gone. Now we had to pick the most beautiful sanctuaries, which we would have been number one, no question about it. Yeah, when you went through the zombie apocalypse, this place will be packed with people hiding out down here. You see, back in the 70s and the 80s in my day, I watched it. We got them shaved. That's what it was all about, getting people shaved. But they never were taught anything. The moment they got saved, they come down front, they got up off their knees from getting saved. One of the pastors met them and put them to work someplace in the church. Nobody discipled them. Nobody helped them. Nobody trained them. The sermons you heard were all geared around salvation. As the churches got bigger, the sermons were, were, the sermons were, uh, give money on Sunday morning. On Sunday night, it was give more money. And on Wednesday night is, we need a little bit more. There was no discipleship. Nobody got any help. No couples got marital counseling before they got married. You gave them to be saved. Nobody sat down with you and taught you anything. And then when you failed, and most of them did, what happened was they put them to work, and they'd last five or six, seven, eight years, and then you'd burn them out. And then we had the audacity, once we got them saved, never trained them, put them to work, and burned them out to blame them for not being spiritual. And all the time it was our fault. And believe me, it, it, it believe it or not, it's a it's hundred times worse today than it was back then. You go to most churches today, you don't get anything. You cry out for the Bible, you'll get a coffee shop with a rock band. You cry out for the Bible, you get a watered-down church service that's worthless. All show and no substance. You cry out for the Bible, and you need help. You'll get a counselor to give you a psychological evaluation. You cry out for the Bible and want something from God. You'll get a test to see what your spiritual gift is or your favorite color is. You'll never get the Bible. We have stopped our ears to the cry of the poor. We have churches today that have five thousand, a thousand. 2,000 people in them that I would put any junior high kid we have, any high school kid we have, up against them when it comes to that Bible. You know why? They're spiritually bankrupt. And the Bible's very clear about all this, as it to the state of the Christianity today. Never in the history of the New Testament church has God's people been such in a dilemma. I've never seen it. And you know what the real... Kicker is, they don't even know it. Most of them have never seen a real revival. They get some circus clown come in that has a can format that he follows through, and a bunch of people come down. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember Billy Graham when he started out was one of the most, was a fire breathing dragon. You watch some of his sermons back in the 50s, brother, and I mean to tell you, he's putting it out. But you see, the neo-evangelicals got a hold of him. They cleaned up his act. They toned down his message. They've dumped a lot of money in it so he could be more acceptable to people instead of just trusting the Holy Spirit of God. And by the time he finished his campaign, the last one was in Kansas City. It had gotten so bad when they brought all the churches together to be the personal workers. They got every denomination on the planet There was so much difference between the doctrines and you were told that when you dealt with somebody, you're not to talk to them about anything other than salvation. If they're not sure about baptism, shut up. If they're confused on tongues, shut up. Don't get into a doctrinal issue. Just win them the Christ. And to help them out. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Holy Spirit of God needs help today. They'd have the chief stadium filled with people. What, 70,000 people? And they give the invitation, and somebody starts singing, just as I am. And to help people make the right choice and the right move. He had all of his, what, 3,000 personal workers spattered throughout all all of the stadium. And at that sign, every one of those get up and start moving forward like they're coming down to be saved. That'll help the other people who need to get saved feel comfortable. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit of God isn't behind your message moving the people, you are wasting your time. That's where we're at today. And then when you got all of these people came down and you got all these signature cards of people that got saved supposedly, you know what they did? They split them up between all of those people. No one ever cared a moment about what those people's needs were. It looked good on television. Raised a lot of money. A lot of people went home that night saying, man, do we have a great revival. You don't even know what a revival is. That's where we're at today. That's where we're at today. Most of God's people haven't heard a good hellfire message that'll take the pain off the wall all of their Christian life. They get taught now. We have pastors in, in Bible colleges are giving sensitivity classes to the people. Don't upset them. Don't make them. You need to be upset this morning. You say, well, I'm mad. I'm going to make you mad before you're done because sometimes that's the only way God can get. Oh, you'll see in a moment. You'll see. We're, we're, We're not even there yet. Slow down, Bob. Slow down. You know what the real problem is? Your generation of Christianity and a couple of generations back, when all you've ever done is eat out of a garbage can, you think the garbage can is good. So you go to Ruth Crisp's Steakhouse sometimes. You find her something different. But God's people today, all you've ever had is garbage out of a garbage can. You think the mu- music is good, getting up there and banging out a Christian rock zone. Everybody, you think that's good because you never heard the real thing. You think a guy gets up there and tickles your emotions and 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 and, and gives you some nice plateau of, 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 of psychology in your life. And you go out of the thing, wow, I've been ministered to. Hey, the people, you watch them. The people that go to Joel Wilson Church, leave there like they really got something. You know what they got? Nothing. It's, you say it's a big other toy. It's a big garbage can. And they're now. <laughs> Boy, this is good. You need to get some half-inch thick sirloin steak grilled on the grill of God on the altar of heaven fed to you in a nice fork. That's what you need. Back in the Crusades, right after the Crusades, if you know your history, they had what they call the Renaissance period. Renaissance means rebirth of knowledge. The Renaissance period came in right after the Crusades, and everything happened. The printing press was made all the great inventions that take place come in during that Renaissance period. This is where the great artwork, the great painting, the great music all comes in from the world standpoint. Most people look at the Renaissance and they don't have the understanding to see what it is. They see it, facts, they see it, wisdom, but they don't understand how it fit into everything. The Renaissance period came into being, and the rebirth that really refired Europe simply came because of the Crusades. From 400 AD to about uh, uh, 1500, when the Renaissance starts, the Catholic Church ran the world. The Catholic Church had told everybody that, and they lived in squalor, lived in poverty. It was absolutely terrible. And the Roman Catholic Church had such control over all of these countries because they're all Roman Catholic Church state countries that they told the people that they're living the best life ever. This is as good as it gets. So the people for a thousand years, a thousand years believed. That the squalor and the and the and the heartache and the poverty and all of the all of the stuff that they had, that they were told the lie that this was the best life you could ever have. Well, what happened in the Crusades is this: hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, over a, what the Crusades was on for like seven, eight hundred years, hundreds of thousands of people left that went to foreign lands. And fought the battles, and they saw the life that they had. They saw silk, they saw all the cultures that were so far above theirs. And if the Crusade did anything, it, it opened up the minds of Europe to the fact that the Roman Catholic life under their oppression was not what it really was all about, and there was a greater life to be had out there. And it brought about a breaking through the Reformation of the Roman Catholic Church grip and brought about what we know as the Renaissance when everything exploded into a better life for everybody. Most of God's people today are held in that same kind of bondage. And I'm here to tell you there's a better life than the garbage can you're eating out of. I'm here to tell you there's a better life than the the life of you being in bondage to yourself I'm telling you right now, there's a better life for you than you being caught up in all these things that so depress you and rob the victory of Jesus Christ from you. But you got to get out of the garbage can. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 says, talking about the church now, Laodicean church, our church. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not, knowest not. They don't even know it. They have no idea. Thou knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Today, from God's own word about his own church, the five great characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ in 2017. Wretched. That's to be stuck in deep affliction and distress either from want, anxiety, grief, a state of total worthlessness. Then he says miserable. There's no victory in God's people's lives today. You're miserable. You've got all kinds of problems in your life. You've had bad marriages. You've got bad kids. You can't get the victory in anything of your life. And yet you go to church, you put on a plastic smile, and you're dying inside. Why? Because you're miserable. Somebody asked Mel Sabaka one time, Mel, are you, are you enjoying your salvation? Or are you enduring your salvation? You know what he said? He says, I'm enjoying by enduring. That's victory. We've got one bad relationship after another, one heartache after another. Your marriages are a mess. There's nothing between it. Everything's broken. Everything's busted. Your kids are down the tubes. Everything is going the wrong way. And you and I should live the victory. But we're miserable. Maybe Nietzsche was right. Maybe God is dead. Then he says, poor. That's spiritually poor. No Bible doctrine, no Bible, no foundation, no substance, no meat. You exist every day of your life on your little booklet, The Daily Bread. And I'm not knocking them because I think they're pretty neat. But my God, folks, you've got to get past that at some point in your life. Amen. You've got to open up that Ruth Crisp's menu you got to get to the Hereford Steakhouse menu. you got to get down in there where the meat is thick and deep and juicy. you got to go to the Arthur Bryant's of the Bible. you got to get there where it's down where you can get some substance in your life. Amen. Amen. Blind. Spiritually, they can't see anything. Because the Bible says they don't even know what their spiritual condition is. I'll tell you what their problem is. And they don't even know it. Through the increase of their goods, their buildings, their properties, and all the things of this world that you can build and make, they think now that the big buildings, the big property, all the big, all the, now they call them, they don't call them churches anymore. Now they're campuses. They actually think that all of that material stuff is proof that God is here. All that proves is he isn't there. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hand. Don't you know that? He dwells in you. They think God is here. Oh, he's in this big Taj Mahal. He's in this big edifice that we built. This. 300 million dollar building that you can see for miles. This is where he is. Come here. No, that's not where he is. He lives inside of you. I don't care if you're in a pup tent. The truth of the matter is, according to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he's been thrown out of the church. He's knocking on the door. Read it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, his word, and open the door, I will come into him and he will sup with me and I with him. He's been kicked out of his own church in 2017. This church here has put him out of his own church. He's knocking on the door to get back in, but the key is the word. And they don't even know it. And then the Bible says that they're naked. That'll be a good reference to the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. That'll be a good reference to the Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, where the shame of their nakedness appear. I'm going to tell you something. All this stuff that goes on, all this stuff that you think is of God in this day and age, and you don't even know it when you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, it's going to take the judgment seat of Christ to wake us up. But it'll be too late. And the first four chapters of Revelation, I've given it to you many, many times, the contrast of two great churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, the church of the open door. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the church of the closed door. And God's people are literally starving to death spiritually. Why? Because we have stopped our ears. We care more about everything that we want to do than the persons around us who need what we have. Now this was told to us Believe it or not, over 2,500 years ago in the book of Amos, that great prophet of God who was the mouthpiece of God in that time before the captivity. And he said in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from uh, north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Now look at that. He's talking about our day and age that we're living in right now. A spiritual famine, not to the world, to God's own people. Why? Because preachers today, churches today have stopped their ears A famine, not of bread and water. We got plenty of that, just look in the mirror. But a famine of hearing of the word of God. No, the book is here, it's here, there's just nobody hearing it. We're living in a time unheard of, of the church. A time when we have all the treasure of heaven at our disposal, yet we're spiritually totally bankrupt. God's people today remind me of a man I read about a number of years ago, and this is a true story. There was an old man who lived in a house outside of town, and everybody thought he was nuts, and he probably was. And everybody was a very reclusive guy. It was just an old hermit type guy, but he lived in an old dilapidated house. And one day they hadn't seen him for a while. and One day they didn't, uh, he hadn't come around to go anything at the store, or nobody saw him outside working around. And so after about a week and a half, the sheriff's department went out to check on him, and, and uh, the door was locked. They couldn't see inside, and, and uh, so they broke the door down and went in to see if he was okay. And they found him dead. And after they did the autopsy and did everything, no foul play involved, he literally starved to death. Well, they took him out, he had no family, no nothing, they buried him in a potter's field, you know, and gave him a decent Christian burial. They began to tear down the house, and when they began to tear down the house, they found hidden within the walls over a million dollars in cash. This guy had enough money to live like a king the rest of his life, yet he chose to live like a beggar and starve to death. And he reminds me of so many of God's people. You have the treasures of heaven worth $100 billion in your lap this morning, yet you will leave it there and choose to starve to death. And today, churches, pastors, Christianity. See, this is my business, ministry, churches, pastors. This is my, you know, you, I don't know what you do for a living. I, I talked to somebody, somebody in the medical field. And you work at a particular hospital and you'll, you'll say, I'll, I'll talk about a hospital and say, oh, I'd never go there. I'll talk about a doctor and say, oh, I wouldn't go see him. And you appreciate when somebody tells you that. You really do. You say, well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've heard some really bad stories. You know what? There's one hospital here in town that's got more medical lawsuits against them than anybody I've ever seen. I wouldn't go there. Well, I know two or three people that went there and died and they just didn't know what was going on. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you, man. man I'm not going to go there. And you'll thank him for that, won't you? You'll find a place that fixes your car and a guy will rip you off. He'll put a new radiator hose on and charge you $1,000. He'll tell you it had diamond studs in the clamps and you're dumb enough to believe it. He'll go in there and fix your transmission and he'll, he'll fix things that aren't even broken. He'll, 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 he'll say, well, he brought the parts out. No, he got those in the back. He's used those parts 20 times that week. And he just charges you. I tell you, don't go there. And by the way, I got the best car place fixed. You ever need your car fixed? I got it. Guys, honest as day long, I would tell anybody to go there. But there are places that will rip you off. And if I'd say to you, you know what? You don't want to go there. Don't go there. They rip me off. You'd say, boy, I thank you. I really appreciate that. And you'd be happy about that. But I'll stand up here and tell you about a bad church, a preacher that won't preach the Bible to you, and you get upset with me. What's the matter with you? What's your problem? What in the world is it okay to tell you about a bad hospital, a bad doctor, but I can't tell you about a bad church that doesn't preach the Bible, and I'm the bad guy? Hold right there. Put your finger up right there. Put your finger right there. (laughs) their ears. And you don't even know it. And you're going to wind up at the seat of Christ as naked as a jaybird because somebody stole your garment. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. This church exists for one reason and one reason only. To provide anyone the manna from heaven that God has given us. The truth of the word of God to every man and every woman who wants it. Amen. Through that book, that supernatural book that will meet our spiritual needs, our physical needs, and our emotional needs. Exodus chapter 16 last week, oh, my favorite chapter on A man from heaven. They were in the wilderness of sin. You're living in this world which is a wilderness filled with sin. And whether you know it or not, whether it's in church or not, Nothing will satisfy you unless it comes from this book, this one. Amen. Not an NIV, not an ASV, not an ABC, this one. This book right here, the complete, inspired, perfect Word of God that God floated down from heaven and put all around the camp. Amen. Amen. So I don't believe that. that's because you're stupid. I don't appreciate that. Show up on Thursday night. I'll give you the first 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And then I'll show you how stupid you really are. Ridiculous. Absolute. God's supernatural gift to man. And you want to take it from these people? God rained down the perfect Bible to give you everything you needed and your three needs. And you want to take it from them? Zach. Put your finger out there again. I got another one. This is a cyber. (laughs) He's gone. Now look at the last part of this verse. First part is, Who shall stop at the ears at the cry of the poor? He also shall cry himself and not be heard. Now we're going to get into something. This is one of the greatest unknown principles of the Word of God and why we are so absolutely miserable as God's people, why we're wretched. You see, God gave you and me the Word of God for two reasons, two reasons only. One of it was to fix yourself, and then the second thing is to fix others. I hesitate to say this because I I don't want to rob you. We had a pastor here Thursday night that was from India is it Lima a great guy and uh he he's got what 30 churches over there something like that going to go back and start a bible institute and he went into that thing and cleaned out everything that we had I gave him anything he wanted to start the the material and the and the things that he needed for that bible institute I don't know how many of you girls, I know you do, I know a lot of the girls do, when old John puts that stuff together, you pre every book, don't you? You just finished the one on booze, didn't you? You get drunk on it or you just finish it? <laughs> we got some of you gals in here that you take that stuff after he does it, you proofread it, make sure all the words are right. I know it's a tough job. I know it is. I know it's hard. I mean, it's really hard when you start to proofread something because you've got to keep your mind focused. I could never do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I hate to even say this. I cannot tell you with the judgment seat of Christ, in that one case alone, if he uses that material in 30, 40 churches over in India that teach those people the Bible how that's going to ring home with the judgment seat of Christ for you. And you never left Kansas City. You never spent a dime. You never, you never, it never cost you one thing except some of your time. You know why? Because you're unwilling to stop, you're you're not willing to stop your ears because people need the truth. You'll take your time, you'll put things out of your life that you want to do to make sure. That room back there was filled with stuff that's gone around this world. You talk about a biblical missions program and you folks are responsible for it. John has a full-time job. He labors at Ford and does all of that stuff. He's got his own family. In fact, he puts those books out over and over again. I don't even know how he does it. And you ladies out there and you guys out there who proofread that stuff, I'm just telling you. And I don't say it. I don't say it to take anything away from you with the judgment seat of Christ. But you wait till that thing comes home. I mean, you take that book, but then don't give it out to others. And you're headed for some trouble. Because God gave you and me the book for two reasons. To fix you and then to take it and fix somebody else. And if you don't do that, your life is ahead of us a problem. I don't know what your favorite ice cream is, but you got to change it the Rocky Road because that's where you're going. It's the only calling and the only purpose that you and I have. We don't disciple you so you can just get the foundation of the Word of God. We disciple you so you can take it in time and disciple somebody else. I don't spend all my time on the Bible Institute and all my time on people ministry just so I can hear myself talk and give you a lot of nice things. I expect you to take what I give you and multiply yourself in the lives of somebody else. God gave it to fix you first and then fix somebody else. And when you stop your ears to the cry of God's people to give them that book that God gave you and you will not give it to them, then God will take his hand off your life and you'll make some terrible choices. And you'll cry out to God. But you stopped your ears and you can't hear the cry of the poor. He's not hearing yours now and you're going to go through some tough times. You better listen to what I'm about to say to you. You better get it. You see, the great principle in this in dealing with Israel. Have you ever noticed in this church or any church, the people who are actively working with people and teaching the Bible and getting in and doing the ministry just seem to have no real problems in their life? We all got issues, I know that. But they don't have bad marriages, most of them don't have bad kids. They come to the place where they don't have the emotional ups and downs. They don't make a lot of bad choices. Maybe they did before they got saved. But but once they got into the Bible and the Bible fixed them, and then they took that book to fix somebody else, God's hand is on your life. You see it with the nation of Israel. Israel in the Old Testament was God's people to take the truth to the world. He said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when he talked to Abraham, he says, in you all families of the earth are going to be blessed. A little bit later on in Genesis chapter 18, he said in verse 18, all nations are going to be blessed through Israel. God intended Israel to take the truth that they had and take it to the world. He gave them the truth to fix themselves first as a people and then fix somebody else. In the New Testament, He gave you and me the Word of God first to fix us and then take it to somebody else. And many of you are in that stage right now where you're getting yourself fixed and you're taking it to somebody else. That's why when I have people, disciple or work with people, I always like to put maybe two oldies there and a new person in. Somebody hasn't done it before. to get you moving in that direction. It's what we do. But Israel stopped their ears to the cry of the world. Just like God's people. Today, we have stopped our ears to the people that you work with. The people that are around you. Oh yeah, you witnessed with beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. So God took the blessings away from the nation of Israel. He took His hands off of them. You know what He did? He left them unto themselves. i want to tell you something. You can never lose your salvation, but I want to tell you what you never want to lose. As a child of God, you never want to come to the place in your life where God takes His hand off of you and just leaves you to yourself. And I know some of you ask for that. Well, I want to do this. Well, I want to do that. Well, I want to do this. Well, I don't want to go to church. Why I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. Finally, God says, okay, you got it. You better listen to me. You say, well, you're just a crazy old man. Well, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm going to get a little crazier. (laughs) The most terrible, devastating thing that can happen to us as a child of God is just for God to let us alone and let us do our own thing. When Israel rejected God and His Word, God said, I want to give you a king. They said, oh, no, no, we want a king like all the other nations. God says, I'm going to give you a Bible. Oh, no, no, no. I want a Bible like the college professors have. I'm going to give you a church that believes the Bible. Oh, no, 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 no. I want a church that has all the things that I'm looking for. He'll give you what you want. And in Psalms chapter 78, that great chapter that relates to 2 Chronicles 36, they had stopped the hearing... (coughs) Of the cry for the next 2600 years, based on their stopping their ears to the world God had called them, now they're on their own. And boy, did they make some bad choices. You read it over there in Matthew chapter 22 where God come down and digged and hedged it about and then he went into the far country and left it under the prophet. He left them alone. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Deuteronomy 31, 17, Isaiah 54, 8, Isaiah 45, 15, Isaiah 57, verse 17, says it clearly. God took his hand off of them and he hid himself from them. Now, they're still his people, but he now has hid himself from them because they stopped their ears. You know what God, you know why you're in the mess some of you are in today? You know why you got no victory in your life? You know why you got problem after problem after problem? I'll tell you why. God is, you're his child, and you're going to heaven. But right now, because you're stopped up ears, he has hid himself from you. And you cry out, oh, why, God, do I have to go through this? Oh, I lost another child. Oh, this, oh, that. Oh, another bad this, another bad that. Oh, God, why, why, why? He won't hear you. You stopped your ears to the poor. Read it. Read it. So you try to manufacture all the good things in life, don't you? You move in with somebody and live with them and think, oh, this is really good. Another bad choice. You hang out with the wrong crowd, do the wrong thing. Oh, I'm happy. Another bad choice. For the next 2600 years, based on their stopping their ears. It started with the captivity of Babylon and Assyria in 606 BC. Scattered to the ends of the earth, never to be in their homeland again. Families ripped apart. Moms and dads killed. Kids thrown into captivity, into slavery. And they cried out. No answer. Christ showed up. What did they do? They crucified him. They on the throne, they said, "Shall we crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar." Boy, when Titus came down in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem, butchered hundreds of thousands of them, destroyed and burned the temple, and I mean, death destroyed and desecrated everything and everybody there they cried out but the very king they said was caesar is the one that came down and destroyed it i'm going to tell you something the very world that house that you go in today that you make your king instead of the lord jesus christ is ultimately going to be the one to destroy you you better learn the lessons of history crazy enough for you am i well, hang on. I haven't even started to foam at the mouth yet. In 135, Hardin, the Roman emperor, butchered, put him under the 31 persecutions. In 1020, all the Jews were banished from England. In 1006, a holy war was started by the Roman Catholic Church to kill all the Jews in Europe. In 1275, Edward I killed thousands of them and expelled them from England. From 1510 to 1600, they're banished from Prague and Constantinople. And I'm talking about it. All, the, the Roman Catholic Church blamed them for the death of Christ and called them Christ killers right up to the 1960s in Vatican II. From 1942 to 1942 uh, 40, to 43, 5,700,000 were killed in Russia alone. Then in World War II, from Auschwitz, Treblinka, Sobibor, Mathausen, Dachau, another 8 million. And I'll tell you, those Jews cried out, why God? Where are you? Where's the Messiah? Why? Where are you? Help us. Why? How much longer? How? Sound familiar? Oh God, help us. No answer. They have stopped. Their ears to God's calling to the poor of this world, and now you're poor, and nobody hears you. Nineteen forty-eight and twenty seventeen they're back in the land because of the old testament prophecies. And now they're rejected by the United the UN Roman Catholic Church in every country on earth except two England and us, and we won't be there for long. And they're crying out, why? Why are we surrounded? Why do we have little Jewish boys and girls killed in bus bombings? Why? Why? Why, oh God, how long? They're at the wailing wall, and they're over there, and those old Jews are praying, and they're asking. They're asking for deliverance. They're asking for this. And no answer. Sound familiar? I mean, we get the idea that God is is some big white marshmallow up there in the sky. That we can use and abuse to do our own thing the way we want to do it. Nobody hears their cry. In any day now, any day now, rapture is going to take place. Tribulation is going to start, and they will have to go through the final, final, final struggle of crying out to God. Except this time, as with you and me, God will hear their cry, and God will send them and deliver and, and deliver them the second coming of Christ. You know, I'm going to tell you something. When you got saved, God made some promises to you. And one of the promises God made to you is he's going to get you home to heaven in spite of yourself. Now his goal for you was to unstop your ears and reach out to the world as the church is to the world today as Israel was back then. But we got God's people today to stop their ears to the things of God. And I want to tell you something. God made a promise to you that he's going to get you home to heaven. And he will get you to home to heaven if he's got to get you there in a wheelchair. If he's got to get you pinned under a car at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. He'll get you there if he's got to, if he's got to put you through the most terrible, grueling things of your life because of the fact that you stopped your ears to him and his calling. Why doesn't God hear me? Because you refuse to hear him. Read the verse. Great lessons for us while we go through what we do with seeming no end to it. This is why God's people are miserable today, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. We just go from one heartache to another. We jump from one burning building to another. Our lives are like the Titanic and it's sinking and we're all going to drown and we're busy arranging the deck chairs for our next party. Just one heartache after another, one tragedy after another. And you wonder why God won't answer you, won't answer your call. Well, the answer is based on Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. It's real simple. You didn't answer his. You stopped your ears. i God's people to take the book to the poor. Now, it will take your own private great tribulation period for you and I to get broken. This idea, as I said, that you can take God, think He's some big marshmallow in the sky and just do whatever you want to do. God is a God of truth. God demands some things from us. He demands a living sacrifice to take His Word to the poor, spiritually poor, those who don't have it. He's given us everything we need to accomplish this, yet we just stop our ears. We don't listen to what is said on Sunday morning. We don't listen to what is said on Thursday night. We don't listen to the Holy Spirit of God inside us, and we certainly don't listen to what the Word of God says. And the people all around us that are starving while we eat the book here. I know I don't want to say this the wrong way. Please don't take it the wrong way, but if you do, I really don't give a flip. You're very privileged to be here this morning. Amen. Not because I'm preaching, but because you've got a book that God gave you that means something. Amen. You could be in a dead church out there where you're getting some guy up there that's just giving you a lot of fluff, brother. God, for whatever reason, chose you and allowed you to be someplace where you could get the word of God. I know he could give you a better preacher, and maybe someday he will. But the bottom line of this, the little bit that I do have, I have given to you openly and honestly. Amen. and yet we stop our ears. Dude, I know it's stupid. I can't even go through McDonald's drive-thru, and there's always some homeless guy sitting out there. Well, it's the thing, that I can't go to the McDonald's and get. I don't order him a cheeseburger too and hand it to him as I'm driving out. And you know what? Most of you would probably do that. Hey, I was in the McDonald's the other day. This must be a new fad. I was in the McDonald's the other day, and I drove through the drive-thru, and I went to pay, and the guy said it's all taken care of. I said, what do you mean don't take it? I said, the guy in front of you paid for yours. He said, would you like to pass it on to, to the guy behind you? That's a new thing now, a nice thing. You know, you know about those things? You, the guy in front of you says, I'll pay for the guy's back here. And they keep that line going. Now, I had two cheeseburgers and a Coke with $2.43. The guy behind me was $19.43. It wasn't such a good deal. I, I won't tell you what I did that's not a time you just want to say no I won't but give him a tract as he goes through that's that's not what you want to do I did pay for his food by the way put it on the church credit card it's okay (coughs) no I did not one of these days We're going to get the reality of all that God has given us. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Schindler's List. I think it's a movie that you ought to have, parents ought to have every one of your kids watch. There's some rough parts in it, but you have to work through that, fast forward it here and there. But, you know, but I think it's probably, probably the most realistic, one of the most moving. And it's based on a true story. Oscar Schindler was a real man who helped those Jews. Uh, in the concentration camps by putting up a factory and spending all of his money to protect these Jews so they didn't go to the gas chambers at Auschwitz. And it's an incredible true story. But to me, the most memorable part of the whole movie is at the end. Germany has been defeated. The SS guards have gone. Russians are going to liberate the concentration camp where they're at. They're all shaved. He has to flee. Because by, under the law, he's a war privateer and he's a war criminal because he used it. didn't matter at that point that he helped the Jews. Now, later it worked out for him. But he's standing there at the end and he's got some four or 500 Jews that would have been dead if it wasn't for him. They'd have been in the gas chamber, hung, shot, skin made into lampshades, hair into, into pillow stuffing if he would not have done what he did. And the reality of all these people, they give him a letter, they made him a ring with his thanks and they gave him a letter that he could give to somebody saying what he did and he's standing there and finally the reality, the reality of everything came down around him and he begins to weep and he begins to say, I should have done more. I should have saved more people. He pulls his diamond ring off and he said, if I would have sold this I could have saved 10 more people. He took his gold watch off and he said, if I would have gotten rid of this, I could have saved 50 more people. He goes through and weeping down his, tears down his face, everything that he had that if he would have, in his mind, would have gotten rid of, could have saved more people. And they're consoling him and saying, oh, but look what you did do, look what you did do. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, that's us at the judgment seat of Christ. I sure hope God doesn't go through my inventory of things and my toys at home and all the things that if I would have not given them up and still would have had fun in life, I could have got more people saved. I sure hope that at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't don't have to go through all the things that I did, all the things that I wanted, (laughs) that I could have actually done without and give up, that I could have put more energy into the things of God and the Word of God and more people could have gotten saved. You see, we stop our ears... (laughs) Now, when we stop our ears and don't hear the cry of the very people God has sent us to, then God doesn't hear our cry. And because we have stopped our ears, we make some bad choices in life, and that is the only way God can get our attentions. He has to leave us alone. My favorite chapter in the Bible for me... I got it written, so I'll show it to you sometime, just so you know I'm not lying to you. It's back there when God met with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. I got across the front of my, top of my thing, a big letter, so I'll never forget it. The day God gets you alone. See, Jacob, just like us, he schemed and planted and supplanted everything in life. He got everything he wanted by manipulating the system to get what he wanted. But then there was a day when God got him alone. And there's going to be a day in your life and my life when God's going to get us alone. I just hope it's not at the judgment seat of Christ because just as Oscar Schindler stood there and said, oh, this ring could have got 10 more saved. I could have brought them over. This watch, this, 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 and this, all that. I guarantee you at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be standing there crying to God, begging to God to go back down just to have five minutes to do what God called us to do that we didn't do. And that cry will go unheard. You won't go back. You have now. You have today. You may have screwed everything up from this point on. I'm telling you right now, i got some new good news for you. You've got the rest of your life if you're willing to unstop your ears. Every head bowed and every eye closed.